Letter two of Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven by Samuel Richardson. Letter two. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Thursday, July thirteenth. I am extremely concerned, my dear Miss Howe, for being primarily the occasion of the apprehensions you have of this wicked man's vindictive attempts. What a wide-spreading error is mine! If I find that he has set foot on any machination against you, or against Mr. Hickman, I do assure you I will consent to prosecute him, although I was sure I could not survive my first appearance at the bar he should be arraigned at. I own the justice of your mother's arguments on that subject, but must say that I think there are circumstances in my particular case which will excuse me, although on a slighter occasion than that you are apprehensive of, I should decline to appear against him. I have said that I may one day enter more particularly into this argument. Your messenger has now indeed seen me. I talked with him on the cheat put upon him at Hampstead, and am sorry to have reason to say that had not the poor young man been very simple and very self-sufficient, he had not been so grossly deluded. Mrs. Bevis has the same plea to make for herself, a good-natured, thoughtless woman, not used to converse with so vile and so specious a deceiver as him, who made his advantage of both these shallow creatures. I think I cannot be more private than where I am. I hope I am safe. All the risk I run is in going out and returning from morning prayers, which I have two or three times ventured to do, once at Lincoln's Inn Chapel at eleven, once at St. Dunstan's Fleet Street at seven in the morning, in a chair both times, and twice at six in the morning, at the neighbouring church in Covent Garden. The wicked wretches I have escaped from will not, I hope, come to church to look for me, especially at so early prayers, and I have fixed upon the privatest pew in the latter church to hide myself in, and perhaps I may lay out a little matter in an ordinary gown, by way of disguise, my face half hid by my mob, I am very careless, my dear, of my appearance now. Neat and clean takes up the whole of my attention. The man's name at whose house I belong is Smith, a glove-maker as well as seller. His wife is the shopkeeper, a dealer also in stockings, ribbons, snuff, and perfumes. A matron-like woman, plain-hearted and prudent. The husband, an honest, industrious man. And they live in good understanding with each other, a proof with me that their hearts are right. For where a married couple live together upon ill terms, it is a sign, I think, that each knows something amiss of the other, either with regard to temper or morals, which if the world knew as well as themselves, it would perhaps as little like them as such people like each other. Happy the marriage, where neither man nor wife has any wilful or premeditated evil in their general conduct to reproach the other with. For even persons who have bad hearts will have a veneration for those who have good ones. Two neat rooms, with plain but clean furniture, on the first floor, are mine, one they call the dining-room. There is, up another pair of stairs, a very worthy widow-lodger, Mrs. Lovick, by name, who, although of low fortunes, is much respected, as Mrs. Smith assures me, by people of condition of her acquaintance, for her piety, prudence, and understanding. With her I propose to be well acquainted. I thank you, my dear, for your kind, your seasonable advice and consolation. I hope I shall have more grace given me than to despond, in the religious sense of the word, especially as I can apply to myself the comfort you give me, that neither my will nor my inconsiderateness has contributed to my calamity. But nevertheless, the irreconcilableness of my relations, whom I love with an unabated reverence, my apprehensions of fresh violences, this wicked man I doubt will not let me rest, my being destitute of protection, my youth, my sex, my unacquaintedness with the world, subjecting me to insults, my reflections on the scandal I have given, added to the sense of the indignities I have received from a man of whom I deserve not ill, altogether will undoubtedly bring on the effect that cannot be undesirable to me, 
the situation and as i presume to imagine from principles which i hope will in due time and by due reflection set me above the sense of all worldly disappointments at present my head is much disordered i have not indeed enjoyed it with any degree of clearness since the violence done to that and to my heart too by the wicked arts of the abandoned creatures i was cast among i must have more conflicts at times i find myself not subdued enough to my condition i will welcome those conflicts as they come as probationary ones but yet my father's malediction the temporary part so strangely and so literally completed i cannot however think when my mind is strongest but what is the story of isaac and jacob and esau and of rebecca's cheating the latter of the blessing designed for him in favour of jacob given us for in the twenty-seventh chapter of genesis my father used i remember to enforce the doctrine deducible from it on his children by many arguments at least therefore he must believe there is great weight in the curse he has announced and shall i not be solicitous to get it revoked that he may not hereafter be grieved for my sake that he did not revoke it all i will at present add are my thanks to your mother for her indulgence to us due compliments to mr hickman and my request that you will believe me to be to my last hour and beyond it if possible my beloved friend and my dearer self for what is now myself your obliged and affectionate clarissa harlowe end of letter two